What I'm trying to find out is, you are Buddy Ravel, right? You a narc? No, I'm with the school paper. What do you want, man? I just got to the school. I don't want anything. That is all. All I want to do is talk to you, see? See, they told me to write this stupid little piece about you because you're the new kid on campus. You're gonna do a stupid little piece on me. Why would I want to look stupid? No, 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 no. You're not gonna look stupid. Not at all. And incidentally, just so you know, I don't care if you do all kinds of dope and shit. I'm, I'm not anybody's narc, you know? Oh, not that I think that you do dope or anything like that. I mean... Listen, why don't we forget this whole thing and pretend this never happened, okay? You're never gonna forget this happened. something, Jerry. I don't like it when people know about me. In fact, I don't like it when anybody knows about me. So you can take that newspaper of yours and wipe off your dick with it. You made me mad, Jerry. Now I'm gonna have to do something to work it off. Work it off? You and me, we're gonna have a fight today after school. Three o'clock in the parking lot. You try and run, I'm gonna track you down. You go to a teacher, it's only gonna get worse. You sneak home, I'm gonna be under your bed. You and me. Let me ask you something. Why would a review make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 280, 3 o'clock high. And this is listener request number 30, courtesy of Peter. Always a uh, great time to see the villain from Kindergarten Cop pop up in anything. Yeah, that's true. That's exactly what I know him from. (laughs) Dead on. Yeah, so... Similarly to Eddie and the Cruisers, this was a listener request that neither of us had seen before, so it's a oh, brand yeah. new one. Was not on my radar at all, safe to say. And also, like Eddie and the Cruisers, it's a Blu-ray put out by Shout Factory, which I bought specifically for this podcast. Yeah. 
I don't think this fits the normal 80s comedy mold, but I will say like 80s comedy in general is a pretty big gap in my overall film history knowledge. I'd say there's some pretty big gaps in general. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but I, I don't think I've ever seen Fletch. A lot of that stuff from the 80s that people like love is just, I don't know. It, it never really seemed to be for me. This is not really of that mold, though. So before we jump into 3 o'clock high... Let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like a sticker, hit us up on Twitter, slide into the old DMs at Greatest Pod, and we'll ship that out to you for free. Absolutely. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. On there. Three O'Clock High is a bit of a cult classic. It came out in 1987. It was directed by Phil Joanneau, written by Richard Christian Matheson and Thomas Cizzoli. Cizzolsi? I don't know. I did a lot of researching of pronunciations for this movie. I didn't look up the writer's name. Okay. Yeah, I think it's fair to stop there. What can you do? Yeah. But I did look up Phil Joanneau's pronunciation and the star of the film also has a hard name to pronounce yeah it was not a household name for me we'll get to that more in a second the budget of three o'clock high five million box office 3.6 million Mm, so it did not make its money back but it has a lot going for it and i think it's a little bit ahead of its time in a lot of ways didn't really fit in with what was going on in the 80s yeah, it definitely has a unique feel. But I think that it's more in line with the late 90s teen movies than it than with the 80s. I think it's got more of a 90s sensibility to it. It's much more cynical than what was going on in the 80s in a different way. Oh, yeah. Because it's not as if there wasn't darkness in some of the John Hughes material or things like that. But There's blood in this, though. Yeah, there's no sentimentality. There's yeah, yeah. no warm, fuzzy feelings in this movie. It's That's all true. very straightforward. And it takes almost a disconnected adult feel to it. It's taking a, an adult story and putting it in high school in a weird way. It's true. It doesn't have that magical feeling of things just working out. It was a polarizing film at the time. Roger Ebert hated it, for example. <laughs> However, a lot of the retrospective reviews praise the style and the inventiveness. The film itself is very heightened and exaggerated. There's a lot of things that happen in the film that wouldn't necessarily make sense in a real world if you were trying to be completely realistic and authentic. The way that people react to things. Oh, yeah. How things happen, whatever. (laughs) A certain book report comes to mind yeah it's got a very unique feel to it because like i said there is a coldness a cynicalness to it but also a fantasy Uh uh-huh and the way it starts out it feels like you know where this is heading there's a familiarity to the opening of it but it doesn't really it kind of keeps you off balance the whole time though yeah it's got a little bit of that ferris bueller saved by the bell vibe to it but then it it turns it's on its ear where there's no twist coming. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that was my first thought. 
within the opening 30 seconds, I'm like, oh, this must be like a Ferris Bueller knockoff. And then it doesn't end up really being anything like that. No. Unless you wanted to say it's like Ferris Bueller, except he doesn't talk to the camera and he's not cool and no one likes him and everything (laughs) goes wrong up until a certain point. Yeah, that is what I wanted to say. It does have a 7.1 on IMDb. So people like the film. It has a small following. I think it grew on VHS later, well after the sad theatrical run. Basically, if you want to look at it from a a more high-level perspective, you would say that it's high noon, except taking place in high school, where you have your protagonist trying to yeah. rally the troops, trying to have something happen, and it doesn't happen, and it, it's destined to be this standoff at three rather than noon. Right. But that's the whole thing. Yeah, there's definitely some Western references weaved into it. Yeah, it's asking questions of cowardice and what it means to be a hero except done in a completely absurd way where you have this immovable object as a bully who can't be swayed and nothing is going to change his mind but his motivations for doing it seem so obscure and random yeah the dark tone of three o'clock high contrasted with other teen films of the time so much so that executive producer Steven Spielberg removed his name from the credits. Ouch. I'm going to swing back to that in a minute. Yeah, please. In the era of John Hughes, this film stands out for its cynical nature. The warm and fuzzy stuff is kept to a minimum. This is no idealized vision of high school. The quirkiness, stylistic choices, and overall vibe of 3 O'Clock High belong to a much more recent era. So I do think, like I said... Yeah. A bit ahead of its time. It's weird, though, because it maintains that sort of warm, fuzzy aesthetic. Joanneau was heavily influenced by Raging Bull and After Hours, much more so After Hours, to the point where in the supplemental features on the Blu-ray, he's openly stating he was emulating After Hours on purpose. And if you think about the story of After Hours, where you have the guy he's trying to get home, he can't get home. He's trying all these different things. Everything keeps going wrong. It's sort of the same story. Totally. Except uh, he's yeah. headed towards a showdown with a bully at the end. And this was all unintentional. I just wanted yeah. to do After Hours. Had never seen 3 O'Clock High before. Knew Peter wanted us to do it as a listener request. And then they end up out. close to each other. Yeah. Spielberg was expecting something more akin to The Karate Kid when he brought this script wow. to Phil Joanneau, who was very young at the time and had come on to Spielberg's radar because he directed a couple episodes of Amazing Stories, which was the TV thing that Spielberg was involved with in the 80s. I will say, if that's what he was wanting out of this project, I think it was a good decision to walk away because it is nothing like that. No, he didn't walk away. He was the executive producer and was there every step of the way, him and Kathleen Kennedy. The internet seems to think he requested to have his name taken off on the Blu-ray Joanneau tells a completely different story. Oh, okay. Because if you pay attention to the credits, one of the executive producers is Aaron Spelling. I did see that, yes. That Aaron jumped Spelling out to me. owned the script and did not want to give it up, but he was happy to allow Spielberg to executive produce, essentially do the work, but he wasn't taking his name off of it. I Spelling. see. Gotcha. So whether or not there was some moment where Spielberg like backed away as far as wanting his name on it or not, or if it was never really going to be an option to have his name on it, I don't know. But 
Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy and, and some of those other people like Bob Zemeckis, they're all sort of behind the scenes. And there's little homages to things from Back to the Future and stuff like that in this movie. But I don't know what the real story is. Okay. But yeah, it would be sort of a bummer to get this offer from Spielberg. Initially decline it, believe it or not. Joanneau, who had <laughs> yeah. never directed anything, was like, I can't do this. This is like a John Hughes movie. Declines it. Yeah, yeah. Comes back the next day begging to take it. Like, I'm sorry, please let me do it. Immediately and regretting the decision. Spielberg's like, okay, fine. And then Joanneau asks to rewrite the script. It's uncredited, but he did rewrite it much yeah. more to be in the style he wanted to do it. And then Spielberg be like, you know what? I'm, I'm not interested in this anymore. <laughs> this is no longer for me. I don't know exactly what the story is, but needless to say, the studio lost interest in it didn't really want to spend any money to market it or advertise it released it quietly into a few hundred theaters it didn't make a lot of money and it disappeared pretty quickly didn't feel like there was a market for it maybe but i i sort of agree with joano i don't really know what the point of taking a script called after school uh-huh. and making another john hughes movie I don't know what that would have done for him at that point, other than people say this is a John Hughes ripoff. That's the thing. Once you establish yourself as a certain type of guy, you sort of get a little leeway for continuously making the same movie. (laughs) But if you're someone else trying to operate in that space, it's not as redeeming. Yeah, and Joanneau would go on to direct U2's Rattle and Hum and State of Grace and a few other things. He had an interesting career just scanning the filmography. Yeah, some music videos for U2 and Bon Jovi and whatnot. But needless to say, people weren't clamoring for 3 O'Clock High in 87. However, it does seem like people have discovered it slowly over time. And it's got its small little world. So let's jump into it. There's a pretty straightforward story. It's one of those things that's harder for us to capture necessarily in a podcast because a lot of the movie is based on style yeah camera movements zoom in zoom outs the sound design is crazy there's a lot of sound effects added in edits and different things and it's much more of like a visual feast because the story itself is straightforward and you can almost summarize it very quickly the plot points really don't change anything (laughs) like every scene that happens ends up not impacting what the initial movie sets out to be. It just stays the course. Yeah. He's headed towards one destination, and he's going to get there eventually, and a lot of the different things he tries doesn't really work. Right. So the story focuses on Jerry Mitchell, played by Casey Samashko. Casey Samashko was one of the bullies in Biff's gang in Back to the Future. Ah. He's one of the bullies in... Kiefer Sutherland's gang in Stand By Me. Oh. He was in Young Guns. All right. He was an 80s actor. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know any of this. This was probably the first movie he was the lead of, I would imagine. Not a household name necessarily, but I do recognize his face. And once I made the Back to the Future connection, I was thinking, okay, yeah. Jerry and his little sister Bree, played by Stacy Glick, have the house to themselves while their parents are on vacation which is something that seemed to always happen in the 80s. Parents yeah. just loved vacations, especially and during just the school year. Abandoning their kids at home. Although it doesn't really end up being like a major factor. No. 
I was sort of wondering why. I know, because the thing that you're always expecting is, oh, they're going to have a party. Someone else is. I can't imagine my parents ever going on vacation during the school year. Just them. Yeah, yeah. Because I would have never gone to school then. Like, we got to get away from these damn kids. Jerry's day begins badly when he oversleeps. He's supposed to open the school store at 7. He wakes up at 7.30. How do you get yourself involved in a gig like that? Like, why? The lies that they used to build these kids up with. It'll look good on a college resume. Come to school an hour early and open up the school store. Your permanent record. Yeah. All these different things. I know. So Jerry does the wet hair shower routine, picks up clothes off of the floor. There's no shirts, so he has to take a shirt out of the washer, but it hasn't been dried. So then he's microwaving the shirt with a Pop-Tart on it. I I wasn't here for this. (laughs) I wasn't getting this at all. You can tell almost immediately that 3 O'Clock High is edited within an inch of its life. I mean that as a positive. Yeah, yeah. Because it's got the music video sensibilities. It's got the sound effects, the clever choices, the camera tricks. Barry Sonnenfeld, who would go on to be a director, is the DP on the film. It's hard to explain the mindset, but if you go back into the early 80s, the 70s into the early 80s, movies were slower paced. They're edited slower. This is very much a product of the MTV generation it's fast it cuts a lot that's right the camera is moving they use crazy sound effects to highlight things and heighten things it's constantly keeping you on your toes i was saying to matt before we started recording that this is a movie that actually rewards multiple viewings but not because the plot is confusing or no no (laughs) hard to decipher it's because you start picking up on the different tricks they're using. Because I think on first watch, especially yeah. with your 2022 brain, it's kind of just going by. You're like, okay, this is a teen movie. I get the story. But yeah. there's so many different choices that are made in any given moment, any given scene in the movie, that it shows a real technical flair that I think you pick up on more the more times you watch it. Yeah, some of that was probably going by me. Although it was resonating with me that this was something different. I was dialing in on that watching it i had expectations as i was going through these scenes and what i was expecting to happen consistently was not what did happen based on the demographic of who would be targeted for this movie i think it would be wasted on a lot of them but at the same time maybe there would be a familiarity because of things like mtv like yeah they're yeah. experiencing this movie in a way that feels like home <laughs> it's a comedic Reckless speed race to school because they're already late. Jerry and Bree pick up Franny, played by Annie Ryan, Jerry's friend from school. I would describe Franny as a female ducky. Yeah. It never quite gets that pathetic, but it seems like she has some feelings and intentions for Jerry. I think so. I think that's fair to say. I think some of that gets explored. Wouldn't they already be super late in picking her up? Yeah, because he was supposed to be there for 7.30, or 7, right? And it's, yeah. Or it's, he's not even up until 7.30 and then goes through this whole saga to get ready. They have a near accident when Jerry is staring at popular girl Karen Clark, played by Lisa Mara, a young Catherine Martell type, <laughs> Piper Laurie. Didn't you see that in her face? Yeah, yeah. She. I was like, who is this girl? She was so familiar to me. And she's not in anything. But she looks exactly what you would picture 
the pretty girl from school being in an 80s movie like yeah th- that's the look i thought she looked a little a little bit like piper laurie would when she was younger okay yeah i can i'm, I'm picking up on that yeah Throughout the movie, there's a lot of emphasis on clocks and ticking, even before it's Christopher us, Nolan-esque. As the viewer, know why? Like we don't even know why yet. Yeah, yeah. And then there's that giant clock outside the school, and it's really highlighted the ticking and everything. And it always feels like we're in a countdown, even before we know what the countdown is. A couple of random faces pop up in the film. Yardley Smith is a cheerleader walking around outside. The voice of Lisa Simpson. And Paul Feig yeah, yeah. is the hall monitor. I, I didn't notice it watching, of course. Not a super recognizable dude for me, but I did see it, him listed in the cast. And I was like, oh. Well, he's only in it for about five seconds yeah, okay. towards the beginning. The students at Weaver High School are buzzing with gossip about a new student named Buddy Ravel. Although they all just seem to know the same two stories. Some of the stories seem like they're not true, though. Yeah. Well, but some are. Break a teacher's neck is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> He's a violent delinquent who has just transferred from a continuation high school. I did like how Bree describes a continuation high school. <laughs> it's a high school where you can go to so you can continue to kill people and still graduate yeah. or something. Well, at some point, the editor dude <laughs> refers to him as like the closest thing they've got to Charlie Manson. Yeah. They filmed Three O'Clock High at Ogden high school in ogden utah which is the same filming location for drive me crazy oh from 1999 i I knew it looked familiar (laughs) (laughs) we've actually done a fair amount of films that were shot in utah on this podcast wow i was totally thinking it was california wish upon a star yeah silent night deadly night (laughs) showgirls pretty much all our best episodes I'm telling you, this new guy is supposed to be a total psycho. I heard he broke another kid's neck in his last school. Then he got kicked off the football team for pulling a knife on a coach. And all the coach did was grab him, and the guy goes nuts. And this guy's supposed to be coming to our school today. After he broke that kid's neck, they tried to throw him in jail. Judge let him off. This guy ought to be locked up. Did you know what he did at Lincoln? They were supposed to be dissecting these pregnant sand sharks, but he refused to do it. He said sharks were his favorite animal. Great, a psychotic shark lover. So the teacher grabs him by the arm and tries to take him down to the office. Thing is, the teacher didn't know the guy was a touch freak. Touch freak? Yeah. He doesn't like to be touched by anybody. He put the teacher in the hospital for three days. Just because he touched him? This guy is definitely on pill. That's not even the whole story. After he did to the science teacher, they send the dude into continuation. And on the first day there, he got into a fight with the three baddest dudes. Seriously, total brasses. At the same time. Have you heard about his brass knuckles? The dude has brass knuckles? Yeah, always carries them with him. He uses them on special occasions. He hit that continuation so hard his nose flew off his face. Serious? Totally serious. He's also got this thing about being touched. I heard he one time broke a guy's neck just because he touched him. Just because he touched him? He just decided he didn't like to be touched. That's completely weird. Does this guy play football? No. Good. Used to, though. Remember the story about the guy who pulled a knife on his coach? Yeah. That's him. Jesus. He was a continuation. He even took a swing at one of his teachers. And these guys aren't your average history types. They're like ex-cops or something. In fact, I heard they carry guns. He came here from continuation? Uh Uh-huh. 
That's why they call it continuation, so you can continue murdering people and still graduate. What's this guy's name, anyway? There's a lot of insane stories going around about Buddy, but the one that seems to stick and the one that turns out to be true is that he's a quote-unquote touch freak. Yeah, yeah. Where you can't be touched. What do you think that backstory is? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty dark. Right. And these stories just escalate and escalate. Like I said, some of them seem like they turn out to be true. Other ones could not possibly be true, which is sort of the genius about high school gossip where they're mixed in together and some of them turn out to be true. So then... You have no reason to doubt the ones that aren't true, even though he would be in prison. Yeah. I don't know. It is weird how this rings true that there was always some dude showing up to high school that seemingly had this crazy-ass backstory that everyone somehow knew. <laughs> Which seems to be the dream. I think that for a lot of dorks in high school, they Definitely. would love this idea. Yeah. Buddy Ravel is played by Richard Tyson, as you said, the villain from Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. Very recognizable. He's also in Two Moon Junction. Oh, that classic <laughs> film. We meet Mr. Rice, played by Jeffrey Tambor, of all people. I he, know. He basically runs the school store. A few recognizable faces in this. Yeah. Well, the adults are Yeah. Are definitely populated by recognizable character actors, while the kids are mostly unknown. Uh-huh. Especially the females, the girls. They really were like a nothing. Yeah, yeah. So this guy, a little too into the idea of this school store, I feel. Yeah, that was something that Joano touched on in the interview on the Blu-ray where he said Tambor came in and he decided to make the character like a guy who's living vicariously through this store. He cares about this store more than anything else. (laughs) And it shows. Yeah, yeah. What an existence. The store happens to be stocked with a lot of cash. They need to do a deposit after school. They have... $470 in cash or something like that. Yeah. Jerry's first period is dedicated to the school newspaper where his best friend Vincent is the editor. Vincent and the journalism teacher have the idea for an article on Buddy as sort of a welcoming to the new kid on campus. Much to his dismay, the interview assignment goes to Jerry. Yeah. I'd be like, fuck you, I'm not doing it. (laughs) Do you think this guy wants to be interviewed? I could tell by seeing him walk in that that is not the case. This is a horrible idea. Why would a new kid in school want to be highlighted in a newspaper? Especially one like known for beating ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, headline is just beating ass, the Buddy Ravel story. (laughs) Almost immediately, Jerry actually encounters Buddy in the restroom. Horrible. And clumsily attempts to introduce himself. While just, mentioning the newspaper article. I just wrote down, trying to shake hands at urinal. Never a great idea. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Needless to say, it does not go well. There's some homophobic slurs in this movie, should be pointed out. <laughs> One in this scene. <laughs> yeah, it should be pointed out. <laughs> Jerry can't quite find the right words, and it keeps getting worse. So he tries to bail on it, giving Buddy a friendly tap on the arm. Oh, boy. But Buddy does not like to be touched. Apparently he didn't read the scouting report. Buddy responds by tossing Jerry against a wall, stating that 
he has been made mad and will now have to do something to, quote, work it off. Which, when you put it like that, doesn't it feel like that needs to happen immediately? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buddy tells Jerry that the two of them will be having a fight at 3 o'clock in the parking lot. Even though there is sort of a half fight in the bathroom. I mean, there's a violent fit. I guess he wants to make an example of him. Yeah, fair enough. In front of people. If Jerry runs or goes to a teacher, the situation will only get worse. So this little moment here in the bathroom when Jerry touches the sleeve of Buddy's jacket is exactly what I was talking about. The music sound choices. Oh, yeah. Like, it's so loud when Jerry puts his hand on the sleeve. Like, you hear, like, the... Yeah, right, the leather, right, And then yeah. when he slides it off, it's like... Yeah. It's so accentuated that you get the idea. And now we're launched into a countdown. The ticking of the clock now seems even more accentuated. It should be pointed out that both of the leads of the film, Casey Shimosko and Richard Tyson who are both portraying high school students, were actually over 25 years old when the film was made, making them both older than director Phil Joanneau. Oh, wow. Jerry is now in panic mode, and he's trying to get assistance from Vincent, from Franny, etc. Franny says that they should ask Ethan, who is her spirit guide, and (laughs) Vincent goes, oh, good idea? (laughs) That's his reaction to that. The countdown is at six hours. Jerry is already a wreck trying different strategies to avoid the fight. Buddy won't listen to reason and is adamant that shit will go down at three o'clock. I'm glad that they do work this in because your first thought is just like, dude, why don't you just leave? But they do come up with reasons to explain that away. Vincent happens to notice Buddy's locker combination. There's a lot of different stuff going on here. First, there's like the local film school wannabes oh yeah and they have a pitch to jerry that they want to do a documentary <laughs> yeah on the fight <laughs> we're talking classy angles <laughs> word of the fight has spread like wildfire even the beautiful karen clark knows which makes it all the more humiliating as to what might happen yeah well i think he's getting some cred right now but just the reality is going to be rough yeah but his cred gets even higher after the incident with the book report. Right. She just mentions to him, oh, are you fighting Buddy Ravel? And he's like, yeah. And then she pauses and says, have you ever been in a fight before? (laughs) (laughs) Vincent suggests planting a switchblade in Buddy's locker, even leaving an anonymous note so that Buddy will get kicked out of school. Jerry's against the idea, but Vincent does it anyway, and then it's too (laughs) late to get the knife back. A good friend to have. So now there's a knife in Buddy's locker, and they can't get it back, and now they don't know what to do. Don't be an asshole. Just ditch. Go. Leave. Bree, it's not that simple. I have a book report due in the fifth period, then I have a math quiz in the sixth. If I leave, I flunk both of them. Listen to me, Jerry. Being flunked beats being dead. It's been quite annoying, Jerry. Say that again. Quite a morning. I've made contact with Ethan. Ethan's very concerned about you. Mm-hmm. But don't worry. He says you're a warrior 
and that there is a chance that you will emerge from this challenge unscathed. What sort of a chance does Ethan figure I have? Well, that depends. On what? On us. Brandy, I know he's your guardian angel. Jerry, this is no joke. It's time for you and I to bond. Bree advises Jerry to simply skip school. Meanwhile, Franny is no longer in the mood for subtlety, implying that she and Jerry must quote-unquote bond in yeah. order for him to survive against Buddy. Well, Jerry makes some comments when Bree's like telling him to leave. He's like, I have like a couple classes that I have to go to or I'm going to flunk. Dude, you, I feel like you could miss a day. Yeah, they like to say flunk in this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, Bree says being flunked beats being dead. Good point. Jerry's state of mind is definitely not improved by witnessing what has to be the most insane, violent pep rally <laughs> of all time, where the cheerleaders come out with baseball bats beating a giant pinata made to look like the player on an opposing football team, and then there's glitter blood that flies everywhere. <laughs> it's completely insane. Yeah, I know. I don't think this would fly. Kill, kill, mutilate. <laughs> The restroom becomes sort of a a sanctuary to Jerry throughout the film. Definitely. So many times he's retreating to the bathroom. It's a safe haven. <laughs> it's a place to collect your thoughts. Right. Get, get back on track. Jerry tries to make a break for it, but he finds the planted switchblade now stuck in his car's steering wheel with a note that reads, There is no escape. The bell rings at three. Be there. No real indication as to how... Buddy would know that that's his car, but okay, I get it. Yeah, just go with it. Maybe he asked, although he did have to take his mom's car because his car didn't start. Or no, it had flat tires or something. Yeah, I guess this is just one of those things that's building up the Buddy character even more. The car's ignition wires have also been cut. (laughs) Okay, extreme. In the parking lot, Jerry is caught by overzealous school security guard Duke. That's right. Played by Mitch Pileggi. Skinner. Skinner from the X-Files, who finds the switchblade and takes Jerry to the office of Mr. Delinsky, the Dean of Discipline. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, what a title. Jerry's got a clean record, so even though Delinsky is suspicious, he ultimately lets him go. His name is Wojtek Delinsky. I think I've had you in my office before. Jerry Mitchell, sir. No, I don't think I've been in your office before. Eva, I'll need to file on Jerry Mitchell. Right away, Mr. D. I really don't think that there's any reason to put this in my file, sir. What were you going to do with the blade, Jerry? Well, you see, it's really not my knife. Well, but... Buddy Ravel wants to fight me at 3 o'clock today in the parking lot, and, and I just couldn't get out of it, so a friend of mine... Well, I had this really stupid idea that I might be able to get Buddy kicked out of school before I had a chance to fight him, so I planted the knife in his locker and then I put a note on Mr. O'Rourke's desk tipping him off, only he found out about the knife before you guys did and then he stuck it in my mom's steering wheel with another note saying that I definitely now could never get away from him. But, but like I said, it's really not my knife. That is absolutely the most ridiculous excuse I have ever heard in my entire career as a disciplinarian, Jerry. But it's true. Hello, Bill Wojtek. Did you receive a note this morning regarding the contents of Buddy Ravel's locker? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks. 
They haven't found a note anywhere near his office, Jerry. But... Jerry Mitchell's file, Mr. D. Thank you, Eva. single unexcused absence in three years. That's very hard to believe. I'm telling you the truth, sir. I wouldn't leave school without a good reason. I'm not quite sure what's going on here, Mitchell, but I want you to understand something. I've dealt with students like you before. You put on a good front for a couple of years, and suddenly you think you can get away with bloody murder. Well, I'm going to be watching you from now on. And if I hear even a peep from you, be assured your college acceptance boards will hear from me. Do I make myself clear? I did like that when he's trying to show the Duker that note, it just comedically blows away. (laughs) (laughs) And the Duker is not interested at all. No, no, no. Delinsky's office is psychopathic it's absolutely completely insane there's it's like half a of a cougar hanging off the norman wall. bates type room it's like a stuffed cougar but it's not just the head it's literally half it's like norman bates slash brad wesley room various mounted heads etc <laughs> the only thing missing is your ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is weird that there's a dean of discipline and then later a principal yeah it's like who why would they have all these positions they need that guy from Office Space to come in and yeah get rid of the redundancies <laughs> in this school. <laughs> Why do you do all these people? I was talking here? to the mics. There's also some betting pools going on in regards to the fight. How long is the fight going to last? How many stitches, etc. Most people assuming that Jerry is just going to be destroyed. He's yeah, about yeah. a foot and a half shorter than Buddy. There's a big over-under bet riding on the three-minute mark. I would imagine that most people listening to our show aren't super familiar with the movie, so I guess we we do need to describe it a little bit. Jerry is small. Yeah, yeah. He actually looks like he could be a high schooler. His face is a little bit older. You can kind of tell he's not in his True. teens, but yeah. he's small. The physique Whereas is more. Richard Tyson is enormous. Definitely. And for anyone, if, if they were throwing these bets out and people are like, the over-under for uh, this dude staying standing is three minutes i think everybody would take the under because you're like this guy's gonna be out cold in one punch he's gonna be in a coma well he definitely doesn't stay standing for three minutes he gets knocked down a lot well that's true yeah (laughs) but i I don't know what is the bet then that is just how long the fight's gonna last (laughs) i'd like to get the specifics so if jerry is killed immediately but Buddy keeps punching his <laughs> unconscious body. Does that still count as time yeah, on the, the fight? fight's still going? When is it officially over? Yeah. A high school fight. <laughs> Jerry's next scheme is to enlist the aid of another large student, a potential personal bodyguard named Craig. The only problem is that Craig wants $450 to That's fight right. Buddy. We have some inflation jokes worked into the mix. During a fire drill, Jerry sneaks into the school's student store and steals the cash. So he can pay Craig. So now we're seeing, by the way, the school store in the process. Yeah. So now we're seeing the crazy desperation building up. Oh yeah. For Jerry, this is like an Empire Records situation. He's making poor decisions. It's getting to the point where 
he doesn't know what to do. I think that I know this is like so cowardly and pathetic, but yeah, I think that really the real solution here is to just tell a teacher, tell the principal. I don't know what to do. This guy is going to kill me. Yeah, when Tangerine Dream did the screening to make the score. Yeah, yeah. Usually what happens is the people who are going to do the score will watch the movie with the director. The director will sort of talk through different things, whatever. Tangerine Dream is like a collection of guys. They're sort of like a band, but they're from Germany. So they watch the movie. They go off. They do the score. Joano and maybe one of the producers then goes to Germany or goes wherever to like listen to them do the score. And it originally was like a horror movie. It was like so disturbing and frightening. Oh, wow. And so he was like, guys, this is good, but this doesn't really fit the tone of the movie. And they're like, what do you mean? (laughs) And he's like, this is supposed to be more a little lighter, like kind of a comedy. And they're like, what do you, the big guy, he wants to kill the little guy, right? (laughs) Like, there was something lost in translation. They weren't seeing it because I think high school in other countries is very different than America. So it's it's sort of hard to even explain what's happening in this movie to people. (laughs) They don't recognize that this is just normal high school behavior. (laughs) Yeah. That you might just get killed any day. Yeah, part of high school is that you have to go to class with complete sociopaths who (laughs) have no regard for human life. shit out of you. (laughs) But it's fun. It's funny. Yeah, right. It's character building. So they were able to remix what they had and make it like less ominous. Yeah. I was surprised to see them pop up in the score just because they've done some really cool movies. But I guess the choices that they've ended up being involved with throughout their career are kind of random when you look at the full spectrum. But I'm sure they just had a price. And if you met it, that was it. Totally. I'm not saying. Yeah, I know. It's just obviously if they're being chosen, it's for a reason. You just wouldn't expect it to match this material. Yeah, it makes it stand out a little bit from the John Hughes films or the the regular 80s teen fair. So yeah, when Jerry's trying to steal the money, he encounters a jammed cash register, which is also exactly like After Hours, just cannot open this register, and he destroys the entire store in the process of trying to get it open. This big guy, Craig, his attempt to handle the buddy situation goes disastrously. Yeah, poorly, I'd say. He confronts him in the library, and Buddy breaks his finger and punches him out, knocking over every shelf in the library like dominoes. Which is a little absurd. I think they also say that he may have had some teeth knocked out. When the last bookshelf falls and Jerry and Vincent are just standing there. (laughs) Hilarious. Craig was a big dude that has beat some guys up, was like a football player and stuff, and no match. So, I mean, if you're Jerry now, it's like, yes, I'm going to be hospitalized today. The pressure is unrelenting. Jerry can't get out of his approaching fight with Buddy, and now suspicions are swirling over what happened to the student's store. We're into the afternoon. Time is running out. Tension's running high. Blame being passed around. But Vincent was able to get back 350 of the stolen 450 from Craig. I like that Vincent makes the call like, okay, Craig, you can keep 100. <laughs> when Craig's trying to give back all of the money, Vincent just, no, 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 you keep 100. Yeah, he's concerned about the hospital bills. Bree comes up with another idea. Get out of the fight by getting after school detention. The character of Bree is interesting, and I'm in no way implying that this character type was invented for this film because I really have no idea. The but helpful sister? 
Yeah, the kid sister. And Brie is definitely the prototype. You would see it in a lot of other films throughout time. Sure. The precocious kid who's a little bit sarcastic and way too smart and funny. Chloe Grace Moretz in uh, 500 Days of Summer. Yeah, characters like that. I do think, though, that this plan would have fallen apart even if it worked. I mean, I think Buddy's okay to wait. Yeah, I don't think that detention was really the answer. No. Jerry's method to try and get detention is to make a pass at his English teacher, (laughs) Miss Farmer. Well, you might as well have some fun while you're going for it. Jerry volunteers to give a book report. He grabs cigarettes and sunglasses on his way up to the front of the room. I'm with whichever guy says best book report ever. I enjoy very much the look on Miss Farmer's face when Jerry's talking. At first, she's very annoyed <laughs> at what's going on. Yeah. And she's very interested when he starts talking about Honey Goes to Hollywood. This is part of the heightened stuff in the film, not just the yeah. fact that it ends with him kissing her, which is, of course, absurd. Everyone would be like, did you notice Jerry's new attitude? But he doesn't really get in trouble for having the switchblade, which I get it. It's the 80s. It's a pre columbine school shooting world so i don't know what would have happened if you were caught with a switchblade in high school in the well, 80s they just thought he was a greaser not a soch so that goes by and now he's got cigarettes and he lights one up during the book report. <laughs> in class <laughs> and nothing ever comes of this right. and then well the teacher's mesmerized here as the figure of authority she really can't get herself back under control yeah she immediately falls under jerry's spell That's and right. goes for it all right, now, we're going to try and get through as many book reports as we can today. Are there any volunteers? Yo. Jerry. All right, go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Why am I standing here? I mean, uh, the whole point of books is is that you read them. Uh, many start telling people about them. That means that they didn't read them, which means that, that uh, book reports contribute to illiteracy, which is part of a real big social problem in America. Jerry, did you actually read a book? Did you give me a break? Well, could we... I'm trying to make a point here. Jerry... You don't think that I could stand here and tell you about a book I read? Is that what you think? Ha! <laughs> Jerry, the book. Fine, the book. Honey goes to Hollywood. It's a good read. Fast, angry, sexual. I was uh I was thinking about the syntax and how it affected the overall mood. Particularly during the more 
expository passages of the fifth chapter where honey meets the whole Australian soccer team. In fact, I gotta tell you, it kind of made me think of you, Miss Farmer. There I was, in bed, reading my book, Honey's adventures gripping my imagination. I just knew I had to tell you about a book that was this good. Hey, Mom. Jerry, I hope this is going somewhere. It's going somewhere. What's your favorite book, Miss Farmer? What's the difference? It's important to me. Turn of the screw. What a coincidence. During Jerry's book report, he asks Miss Farmer what her favorite book is, and she replies, Turn of the Screw, before he kisses her. In Turn of the Screw, there is a part where a tutor is kissed by her student. Oh, boy. But it's all for naught. It ultimately doesn't work, though his actions may have put him on the map in terms of social standing. Absolutely. Jerry passes out because, as he's told us several times, he's hypoglycemic and wakes up in the nurse's office without having earned any detention. This also felt like an opportunity, and I guess you can argue, well, his parents aren't home, so it's not on the table, but if you're getting yourself sent to the nurse and you passed out, I think you could make the argument that like you have to go home for the day. Yeah, I would buy that. He does score those digits, though. Totally. <laughs> That's actually very funny. Yeah. The nurse is like, no, she didn't say anything about detention, but here's her number. She wants you to call her at home tonight. <laughs> Karen, having heard about what happened in Miss Farmer's class, tosses a party invite oh, Jerry's dude. way, which seems like it probably would have been unfathomable that morning, and yeah. yet he can't really enjoy this, it because he's so worried about what's going to happen later. This is just how these things work, though. Jerry's in the club now after his antics. Jerry returns to the student store to find Franny waiting with some sort of a weird bonding setup. <laughs> and by bonding... I'm assuming we're talking about sex, and it seems like that's where they're heading, and then yeah. it never really goes anywhere. She does passionately kiss him, but then seems to change her mind and back away, but she had already set up a pillow and a blanket and candles. Yeah, it was going to be a uh, spiritual type Yeah, the thing with Franny encounter. is she seems to change her style a lot, at least according to Bree. They talk about it in the car ride before they pick her up. Punk, 60s, yeah. now goth, potentially. You know the type. <laughs> in the student store, Mr. Rice has brought in Detective Mulvihill. Mr. Rice, just inconsolable. Played by Philip Baker Hall. That's right. Sort of doing a variation of Bookman from Seinfeld. Uh-huh. It's very I Bookman-esque. Yeah, yeah. Not quite as snappy and quick with the dialogue, <laughs> yeah. but suspicious and seemingly... 
over concerned with something that wouldn't matter yeah. that much. <laughs> Mr. Rice, what are you doing here? I think I should be asking you that question, Jerry. I was just. I was just feeling a little low about all that's happened in here, and I just thought I might come by and clean up a little bit. Who is this kid? I'm, uh, I'm Jerry Mitchell. I'm the student store student manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry, this is Lieutenant Mulville Hill, Juvenile Division, uh, Sheriff's Department. Better get back to class, huh? I just want you to know that I have a very strong suspicion that this was an inside job. Almost always is. Can I go now? Yeah, you can go. So you've got Tambor, Philip Baker Hall, a few familiar faces popping up. As the day is winding down, Buddy is seated next to Jerry in algebra, out of the blue. There's a quiz, and for some reason, the brand new student buddy is forced to take it, which to me made zero sense. The teacher makes a comment like, I'm sure you were caught up to this in your book. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. In an attempt to win him over, Jerry lets Buddy cheat, but like everything else he's tried, this fails too. Buddy and Jerry are taken to Principal O'Rourke's office, played by John P. Ryan. Yeah. From Five Easy Pieces and a lot of other stuff right. throughout time. I guess this is where we'll find out that Buddy really is just like an evil genius, too. How do they decide who handles what problems? You have Delinsky, you have O'Rourke. Yeah, I don't know. Why did they go to O'Rourke in this case, but Delinsky, if you're in the parking lot trying to leave? What's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> I guess if there's a weapon involved, you need the Dean of Discipline. In O'Rourke's office, they're trying to come up with a story on the fly. and O'Rourke handles more of like the white-collar crime. <laughs> Jerry spins some story that it was him copying off of Buddy. Buddy, meanwhile, takes a pen and snaps it in half, and the ink just goes flying all over O'Rourke's family yeah. photo. <laughs> Showing him exactly what he thinks of this. And then O'Rourke tests them. They're like, okay, well, if it was Buddy or... If it was you, Jerry, that was cheating off of Buddy, that means Buddy knew what he was doing. Here's some tests from the quiz, or here's I'm some not questions sure from the quiz. Can you do them? That logic actually holds up, though. <laughs> you could be cheating off someone that's still wrong. I know. After Buddy rebuffs a plea to just be friends and forget the whole thing, Jerry offers him the remaining stolen cash to call off the fight. Buddy accepts the money calling Jerry the biggest pussy he's ever met. <laughs> <laughs> Which, movie over for me. My version of this movie ends right here. I'm cool with it. <laughs> yeah, but you still have to worry about how the school store is going to get paid back. Yeah. I'd be back to focusing on the teacher. I mean, who knows? Maybe we can just forget this whole fight thing and just be friends or something. What do you think? You're never gonna learn, are you? What do you mean? I mean... No matter what you say, what you do, you and me are going to fight when that bell rings at 3 o'clock. Can't we be friends? Can't we even try? I don't need friends. Hey, wait a minute. I can't fight you. 
I mean, I, I don't know how to fight somebody like you. Hey, do you hear me? I can't do it. Hey, what if I paid you? What if I paid you? Would you back off then? Look, I have $350. It's yours if you leave me alone. O'Rourke put you up to this? O'Rourke has nothing to do with this. Just to call off the fight, no catches. No catches. Pretty God, you're not gonna trash me. But you know what, Mitchell? You're the biggest pussy I've ever met in my life. You didn't even try. How's that feel? Almost immediately, Jerry regrets this decision after some reflection while staring off into the mountains. <laughs> From the school roof. Jerry, filled with a newfound purpose, finds Buddy and demands the money back. When Buddy refuses, Jerry insists that he is no coward and that their fight is back on. So finally, for the first time in the film's runtime, Jerry has decided to be a little more assertive, proactive, stand up for himself. He reached his lowest point, which was buying his way out of the fight, and he realized he couldn't live with himself for doing that. Yeah. So Jerry goes on to be in the fight and gets killed immediately, and it all works out. He actually punches a locker to emphasize his point as he's walking away from Buddy. And Intimidation. As soon as he gets around the corner, <laughs> he's like holding his hand going like, oh. Which is such a hack joke in a way, but, but it, still it never fails. Yeah. yeah, it's so perfect. When the clock finally strikes three, the unreality of the film reaches new heights. And we're plunged into almost a Thunderdome-esque <laughs> yeah. scenario in the parking lot. Yeah, it's like, oh, this isn't drawing any attention. And I mean, it turns out it does. Hundreds of cheering students gathered all over the place, in the windows of the school, all over the cars. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those old WCW pay-per-views that were was outdoors, you know? <laughs> it was Bash at the Beach in a parking lot. That's right. There is a literal parade of people trying to intervene and stop the fight before it starts. All right, hold it right there, gentlemen. There isn't going to be any fight today! Now break it up, people. Go on home. Go on. I said move, gentlemen. Jerry, I'm taking you home. Buddy, I want you to go to my office and wait for me there. Sorry, Mr. O'Rourke, I just can't do that. Really? Why don't I give you a little help? Principal O'Rourke jumps in. He touches Buddy. Oh, yeah. He gets knocked out. This whole thing does turn into kind of a a wrestling match. You've got the ref bumps. There's weapons involved, low blows. It's a little overbooked by yeah, the time he gets is, to the right. finish. Yeah. <laughs> Franny jumps in. Buddy tosses her aside, which wakes something up in 
Jerry, who has already been knocked to the ground by this point, but he gets back up when he sees Franny gets pushed. By the way, do you think Buddy will continue to be attending this school following this event? I feel like once you've punched the principal, <laughs> it's over. Well, it doesn't seem like anything matters, True. ultimately. yeah, That just plays into the whole unreality of it. Right. Where, yes, of course, he's punching several faculty members and nothing <laughs> happens. Duke and Delinsky arrive. Buddy knocks the Duker out, and Delinsky just retreats, That's much right. to the delight yeah. of the students who laugh at him. <laughs> All these men just being destroyed by the student. The fight rages, and Jerry somehow holds his own, despite being knocked around by the much bigger Buddy. Each bloody the other's nose. Buddy goes for the ultimate heel move, the foreign object, the brass knuckles. <laughs> But the guilt-stricken Vincent jumps in, causing Buddy to drop the knucks. A running. In all the confusion, Bree picks up the brass knuckles and slips them to Jerry. She says, cripple the dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry. Jerry. Are you all right? Cripple the dick. Talk about a motivating line of dialogue. Totally. <laughs> Cripple the dick. I just wrote R.I.P. Vincent. <laughs> he jumped in just to get beat down. Really? <laughs> there are bodies everywhere by the time this thing wraps up. O'Rourke wakes up. He's the principal of the goddamn school. He says, don't fuck this up, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Encouraging him to fight this kid. I know. With brass knuckles in the mix. Don't fuck this up, Jerry uses the brass knuckles to knock out Buddy, and the crowd goes bananas. He grabs Franny, kisses her. The crowd ooze. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Ooh. a Saved by the Bell episode. <laughs> Before things break up, Mulva Hill arrives with some police backup. They're still worried about this missing $450. I know. I don't know that this would be enough money to get a detective involved. Mr. Rice says it can wait till the next day, and they're just like, okay. I love that, yeah, the authorities are listening to this fucking principal who got beat up by a student. No, I think it was Tambor. Isn't he the one that says it can wait? Oh, I was thinking it was the principal, but yeah. I can't remember. Like Michael Myers, Buddy is gone. Vanished in all of the chaos. He's no longer laying where he was. The next day, many students show their admiration and support to Jerry for such a great fight. Oh, yeah. This is basically the end of It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) (laughs) They begin buying individual sheets of paper for $1 from the school store to help Jerry make up the missing cash. Buddy arrives, silencing the crowd. He returns the $350 to Jerry, showing his respect. Sort of a further humiliation i think for craig who's still hanging on to that unearned 100 (laughs) dollars. that 450 dollars was to take care of this problem yeah really (laughs) weaver high is ablaze with new gossip now focusing on jerry instead of buddy with wild and exaggerated rumors going crazy caitlin oheny's character of miss farmer originally had only the one scene for jerry's book report 
but test audiences demanded more, so they filmed the new hilarious ending, which is actually very laugh-out-loud funny. Oh, yeah. So Karen, the popular girl, comes in while everyone's buying stuff at the school store to reiterate her interest in Jerry attending her party, and when she asks Jerry, Jerry looks to Franny instead, and there's almost this expectant moment between the two and then at the last second boom miss farmer shows up looking like fucking sandy oh, at yeah. the end of greece of vixen <laughs> yeah <laughs> she just comes into the store and starts kissing him arrested immediately basically like i don't give a fucking <laughs> shit if i get fired yeah <laughs> i'm going for this right now <laughs> she's doing like interviews from jail later about how, she, how in love with jerry she still is <laughs> Yeah, it was like a Mary Kay Letourneau yeah, situation. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I know. And I was with those test audiences. They were 100% right. We needed a resolution to this. Yeah. Because I, I think out of the entire movie, the book report scene, and then that button at the end ended yeah. up making like the funniest part. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think that this movie's a little more obscure. Our listeners who haven't seen it would probably have to track it down and, and probably rent it. I don't think it's streaming anywhere at the moment for free. I had to rent it. But I'm happy that we got to check it out because it's something a little different and very unlike a lot of the other 80s comps. Yeah, it was weird that it has that similar feel to After Hours. Yeah, it's more of a Scorsese-infused teen movie with a whole lot of High Noon thrown in there for Uh fun. And it's really this unique movie that I just, there really isn't much like it. Frankly. Oh, totally. And I enjoy the score, and I actually liked that original song as well. Oh, right. <laughs> Which, it plays during the Blu-ray menu, and it just gets in your head. It's, just, <laughs> it's so repetitive. But yeah, a lot of the people from the film did not really go on to like huge careers or anything, so this was like their one little moment. It's kind of cool that it's available on Blu-ray. And stuff like that. Yeah, if I ever see some special 4K release pop across Dawn of the Discs, I'm definitely going to be jumping on it. Uh, Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a 4K (laughs) release of this. Okay, so that'll do it for 3 o'clock high. Thanks to Peter for the listener request. We have Shane up next, and then Eric and Bill still to come later this year. If you haven't ever given us a listener request at any point then we are still technically open for them we'll try to figure out how to squeeze you in at some point if you've already done a listener request then just hold off for now as we've said over and over we're considering what we're going to do in the future for that if we're even going to do anything who knows that'll come later what are you doing what what vincent stopped making picks well how am i going to know what movies to see we have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Anyway, so let's get to recommendations. I have one that I wanted to talk about last time, but we kept it short. So I'll just talk a little bit about a movie we saw last year, and neither of us loved it. Okay. But I rewatched it, and... Enjoyed it a little bit more this time around and and kind of got more on the wavelength with it. And that would be The Green Knight. Okay, I was was feeling like that must be it. And it's on Showtime 
for free, and then I think you have to rent it otherwise. But I watched the 4K disc, and I know that we were a little let down by the movie. I still think that it's not exactly what I was personally looking for out of it, but... I remember it looked incredible. Yeah, it's more of a a vibes movie in Uh the end. I think the story is whatever and it goes on kind of long and is there like weird kind of goofiness in it too yeah i think i just wanted to rewatch it for alicia vikander and oh, her totally. voice yeah. which is very sexy she always <laughs> does like these accents in different movies and would you make me a lady <laughs> that whole thing that she yeah does yeah it's very soothing the way you do it but yeah i would recommend checking out if you like the whole a24 aesthetic and all that stuff and which I'm i sure do yeah. a lot of our listeners have seen it already but yeah i revisited it i felt a little bit better about it than i did the first time i think with a movie like that you have to be in the right mindset <laughs> you have to be yeah, on yeah. that film's wavelength or it's just not going to work for you and we weren't there when we saw it in the theater it just wasn't quite working out. Uh-huh. Not that we hated it, but it it wasn't like yeah, yeah. No, I I a five star class. Totally, totally, yeah. I walked out feeling like okay. I, I mean, I liked it, but you know, I don't know that this was a hundred percent for me. Yeah, a lot of people say that about this podcast. Absolutely, yeah, and that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, You're welcome. Do you have a recommendation? Yeah, I'll do a quick one since we're uh, approaching the end of summer. The classic David Wayne comedy. Wet Hot American Summer. (laughs) Just so good. (laughs) For the weird style humor, you know, that would be in like all the stuff that they did with like Stella and then it's just spawned so many other different things. To this day, every time they throw that kid out of the van (laughs) into the (laughs) it makes me laugh every single time. There's just so much good stuff in it. And obviously like there's the Netflix spin-off stuff that they've ended up doing which Lindsay had just watched for the first time and I walked in just before the part where they do the you're a pig thing yeah losing it <laughs> I was just dying just a great end of summer movie to pop in there I, I don't think even though Netflix has these other ones for some reason they don't have the yeah. original up there so I, I rented it even though I did own the DVD somewhere a great classic comedy hilarious movie yeah, I think that when Ken Marino reveals that he's actually a virgin is one of the hardest I've ever <laughs> laughed from a movie. It's it's definitely in like the top ten. And Jill Atrulio is just like mocking him. <laughs> well, his, no, it's like his anger. Well, that's true, it's, yeah. It's just like pure anger <laughs> yeah. at, at finding this out. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so we wanted to save a little bit of time here at the end post-recommendation to discuss... House of the Dragon. Which still ca- can count as a recommendation too, right? Yeah. Okay. You can watch this on HBO or HBO Max, etc. It was the biggest debut of a new show they've ever had. So it seems like a lot of people are checking it out. I wanted to talk a little bit about House of the Dragon just because it's new. By the time we post this episode, more than one episode of house of the dragon will have aired but we've only seen the first one when we're yes recording true this. right i told matt to watch it so we could talk about it a yeah little yeah bit. yeah i don't know i mean i wasn't gonna rush to watch it but 
It wasn't a regrettable experience I was, for me. Yeah, I was stunned that you hadn't yeah. watched it yet. I was confused by that response. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, on, of the original series, I w- really didn't like the Targaryen family. <laughs> so I was like, that this is kind of the main focus. So I was like, I don't know, man. But it's cool. It was fun, like, jumping back into this world. And, of course, immediately I was, like, wanting to watch shit from the original series. Yeah, look... I guess I would preface my thoughts with a long-winded thing of saying, of course we were all disappointed with how the original show ended. I don't think we need to really go into much detail about the last two seasons, how things were rushed. I will say that I have more sympathy for people who are upset with the execution rather than the creative choices. I don't really have time for people who are mad because they named their children after a Game of Thrones character, and then that character turns bad. At the end. <laughs> that shit annoys me, and it's stupid. No, that actually the brings ex- me joy that that happened. The execution is more open to critique rather than the actual creative choices, in my opinion, because you're not the creator. The artist is, and then that's how it goes. And if you want to dispute what they did on the show, then whatever, but I don't think it's worth the years of vitriol that have been going on, I, I kind of was disappointed and got over it pretty totally, quick totally. and moved on with my life. I do think it had an impact in me on the way that through the first four or five seasons of that show, I loved it so much. But the way that it just sort of petered out over the, the end of it, it kind of didn't make me hate the show, but it did make me just sort of fall out of love with the full product. So, yes, like everyone else... I wasn't thrilled with how things went, especially in the last season, but probably the last two seasons, but more so the last Yeah, season. yeah. I thought there were still great things same, in all of the same. seasons, including the last one. Yeah, but yeah. But it is what it is. Right, right. Enough time has gone by, and I have to say about 30 seconds into House of the Dragon, I was, all is forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so happy to be back. Yeah. yeah I wanted say. to be in this world again. There's not a lot of epicness as far as things are. And that, that goes to movies and TV. Oh, you'll, totally. you'll have a couple things per year, but there's not... A lot of it feels so artificial to me. And you could, you know, if you don't like Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, you could say that about that too. But for whatever reason, it works on me in a way that a lot of other things don't. So just getting some of those introductory scenes and shots and how things looked and... Obviously, it's going to take a little time to get used to the characters, get into the story. I'd like to see more of the world rather than just King's Landing, et cetera, et cetera. But it was enough to whet my appetite again. Oh, I was totally. like all in. I definitely thought, and maybe I don't know if this, if you felt this way at all, it seemed like visually a little bit more digital than obviously like the dragons were always CGI or whatever. But what always stood out in the series was just like how much on location shooting and like the real sets looked and everything like so much. I felt like this looked a little bit more digital this time around, but it wouldn't surprise me, but I didn't really no. notice anything too much. Obviously it's super hard to compare because the first series is like lightning in a bottle, but the pilot for it, there was, I, it seemed like there was a lot more characters to sink your teeth into that. I, I don't know that was quite here with this, but, Obviously, there's a long road ahead, and and we're going to have to see what they do with it. But I am with you in the sense that it's like, yes, it is fun to be back here. (laughs) There's not a lot of TV shows out there that I can get that into. And all right, this is a world. It's just another one of those things now, whether it's 
Star Wars or whatever other th- these universes are that exist cinematically, and Game of Thrones is certainly one. Yeah, I think that there's definitely room and potential for all kinds of stories within this world. I guess it will just depend on how successful this is over the long haul and whether or not they actually do that sequel series with Jon Snow and how that goes and everything. But yeah, it it could be a thing where there's various Game of Thrones related projects at all times because that's sort of just the world we live in now where nothing ever is really over and we know that. That's totally, not totally. a surprise at all. Yeah, yeah. Once you got a money-making machine out there. It seems like they're taking Game of Thrones and they're adding in a little bit of succession and that's how this story is probably going to play out. And I didn't read the Targaryen book, Fire and Blood, so it's all new to me. Same. I don't really know totally. exactly what's going to happen. And I kind of would rather keep it that way rather than read the books, which is what happened with game of Thrones. I'm just trying something different, not really knowing exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Obviously the Targaryens are going to still be on top by the end of it, but which Targaryens, I guess right, is right. the question. And I guess like this story is the first chip in the armor and the start of the fall of the dynasty. Which takes, of course, several generations to finally get there. Right. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. By the end of this first season, we could feel a lot differently. I could lose interest or whatever, but I didn't really know how to feel going into episode one. And then, like I said, pretty early into it, I was happy to be home. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was like, yes, this is where I'm comfortable. (laughs) Gratuitous nudity and violence. I'm 100% comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) To some degree, I'm surprised they went for it just with all the backlash that the original series is taking towards those last few years. But, you know, they know what they are. Yeah, they know what people are clicking on Exactly. Yeah. Hey, HBO has always been great about it. (laughs) Because they're like, look, people are into it. Our ratings for these shows have been some of the highest rated shows of all time. Okay, so... That'll do it for 3 O'Clock High. Check out The Green Knight on Showtime or Streaming Rental, Wet Hot American Summer. Sometimes pops up on things for free, but also Streaming Rental. House of the Dragon, HBO, HBO Max, 3 O'Clock High. I think you'll have to get on a Streaming Rental as well. But get used to it. That's the world we're living in. We're all at the mercy of these streamers, and this is the nightmare world we've created. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I saw something that was like most blockbusters had a minimum of 5,000 movies and the large ones had like 10,000. And when you compare that to how much is on like Netflix, it dwarfs it. Oh, yeah. Like a couple hundred movies sometimes on some of these streaming services. Right, right. And we are just happily living in that world now. I don't know about streamers pick what we can watch. I'm not happy about it. I want blockbuster back. It seems like what's yeah. going on with HBO Max, that whole thing, that could be the catalyst for maybe getting people to wake up a little bit, hopefully. At least the people who still care about movies. Like, right. Because a lot of those people don't even have physical media collections, but now it's, you're starting to think, okay, well, we're basically at the mercy of what they want us to watch, and it, they could take it off at any point on a whim. Definitely. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always like wondering what's driving these. It's like 
this is leaving August 31st if you want to watch it. And I know they just bounce around the streaming services. Oh, well, yeah. I'm talking about even when it's their stuff. Like, what, what's going oh, on with HBO Max? Yeah, yeah, They right. took off HBO Max stuff. I know. Because they don't want to pay residuals anymore. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, yeah. Folks, okay. Thank you so much for listening. Follow the show on Twitter, at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review if you get a chance. And if you'd like a free sticker, let us know on Twitter. We'll send that to you. And you can find us on Letterboxd. Zach1983, Matt Crosby, follow along, see what we're watching. Don't really have the same breakneck, insane pace of last year. I take long breaks between new movies being logged now because of rewatching fucking the movies for this podcast I so know. many goddamn yeah, yeah. times. Yeah, we really haven't been doing a great job of getting to the theater either. I've actually been watching a lot more different tv shows i'm going through a kind of a tv phase right now and you oh, can't wow. really log that stuff on there no all right thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week
boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. <laughs> Thanks for the tip.